All right. Well, tonight we're going to sing, talk about grace just as we've been singing about grace. And so pray with me and uh, we'll get into the grace of God, which we should be able to exhaust that subject in 30 minutes. No problem. So pray with me. Father, we come before you thankful for your grace that did bring us to life. And Father, just all the songs that we've been singing about your grace remind us of how kind and wonderful and gracious you are. Father, I pray now as we just look into your grace a little bit that we would kind of see the, the big picture, although there's too much to tell in such a short time. And Father, we just ask this in your name. Amen. Uh, Tim, you know, assigns me what he wants me to teach on on Sunday night. And so he said the grace of God, you know, and he says, I'm giving you 30 minutes like this is it, man. We could like take care of it in 30 minutes. Um, the grace of God is huge. It is such a huge, cool topic that um, is really kind of, uh, it's almost a shame to try and cover it in a short time. It just instantly makes me want to say series, series, um, series of sermons. Uh, but what comes to your mind when you think of grace? You know, when you hear the word grace, you think about what? I mean, do you think about Jesus on the cross? Do you think about getting to go to heaven? Do you think about uh, forgiveness? Do you think about salvation? Do you picture anything in your mind or is it just a word that is cool? Uh, maybe, um, you know, you know that um, grace is how we're saved and that we're not saved by works. And a lot of times that's about as far as it goes with a lot of people. They understand grace is good and we're saved by grace and we're not saved by works. And, and then their thinking kind of gets fuzzy. And for so many Christians, they, they know that the Bible is full of commands that tell them to do or not do things. And yet they keep hearing that grace is not a result of works. It's not a result of works. And they're kind of wondering, I wonder how that is. You know, they're almost as scared to bring it up. Uh, the whole idea that uh, the Bible speaks of salvation, uh, even in, in salvation of seeking God, of repenting of one's sin, of believing in Jesus Christ, of receiving Jesus Christ. And they all seem their commands directed at us. And yet salvation is not of works, but is grace and and I think a lot of Christians wonder, how can that be? Is it me or is it God? I mean, what, what is going on? And Jesus said many things that seem to indicate that salvation is at works or at least part of our works. You know, take up your cross and follow me and uh, uh, unless you die to yourself, unless you sell all your own possessions, things like that, which you can hear and you're always kind of wondering in your mind, so how does that work with grace? Why, why is that uh, not works? How am I being commanded to do this and yet it's not me? Uh, and this is really what confuses a lot of people. Uh, recently, we've, of course, been doing a series on uh, the godly disciplines on Sunday morning. And every week, you know, you've been told, now do this and here's some homework. Do this, do this, do this. And you're thinking, man, where's the grace? <laughs> you know, I mean, this sounds like a huge, I mean, I'm having to manufacture my whole life. You know, I mean, you've ruined 30 minutes of my morning every day. 
You know, talking with God and reading that big fat book. And, you know, these are the kinds of things that people wonder about because they're they're being told to do things by preachers and teachers every week. And yet they're also told, it's grace, it's not works, it's not works. It's like, well, pal, it's works in my house. You know, I have to do all these things. And so there is a lot of times confusion in the minds of people about how that all works. And so I hope to show you this morning, because it's a feeling that a lot of Christians have. Some people are so burdened. They're so burdened. I'm trying to do this and I'm trying to do that. And I keep failing and I keep going in uh, to the same sins over and over again. And I keep hearing it's not of works. It's grace. It's grace. And then I keep hearing, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. And I am, I'm confused. I'm confused. So what I want to do is kind of do a systematic study on on grace. We're not going to focus on any one text. Uh, we're just going to look at um, a a variety of things that relate to grace, so that you understand the grace of God better. Uh, you understand how it works in your life. And understand its purpose for why you're given grace. So hopefully uh, we can do that by looking at just a fraction of what the Bible says. This is a huge topic. And really it's so grand that some aspects of grace would just take the whole 30 minutes just to begin to discuss them. Because they're so incredible. Okay, the first thing we want to talk about is the definition of grace. What is grace anyways? Uh, in Sunday school, maybe you learned uh, the little cliche that grace is our riches at Christ's expense. How many of you have ever heard that one? Yeah, and uh, it's you know pretty good. It's not comprehensive, but it's good. You know, you get to receive uh, riches from God at Christ's expense. Okay, that's that's good. That's the beginning, uh, but of course, it's not very much. Uh, if you were to go into a big, fat, systematic theology uh, like Lewis Burkhoff's, um, he would define it this way. Uh, in general, it can be said, however, that grace is the free bestowal of kindness on one who has no claim to it. This is particularly the case where the grace referred to is the grace of God. His love to man is always unmerited, and when shown to sinners is even forfeited. The Bible generally uses the word to denote the unmerited goodness or love of God to those who have forfeited it and are by nature under the sentence of condemnation. So that's how, you know, if you wanted to look at a theologian and uh, kind of get the, you know, the heavy-duty version, uh, you might get that. If you wanted to uh, maybe listen to another Baptist theologian, this is Abraham Booth who said this, uh, divine, uh, Burkhoff was a Reformed guy, here's a Baptist guy, divine grace is the sovereign and saving favor of God exercised in the bestowment of blessing upon those who have no merit in them and of which no compensation is demanded from them. Nay, more, it is the favor of God shown to those who not only have no positive deserts of their own, but who are thoroughly ill-deserving and hell-deserving. It is completely unmerited and unsought and is altogether unattracted by anything in or from or by the objects upon which it is bestowed. Grace can neither be bought or earned, or won by the creature. If it could be, 
it would cease to be grace, end quote. So you're starting to get the picture from these theologian types that grace is something God gives to us, but it's not based on, oh, well, you're a cool person. Let me just fork out some grace to you. You're smart, so let me give you some grace. You've been good, let me give you some grace. No, the only people who ever receive grace are those who don't deserve it, who have forfeited it because of their sin. Those are the only ones who get it. So the only ones who ever get grace, as the uh, Booth said, are those who don't seek it. They don't seek it, don't deserve it, and do nothing for it. Now, hopefully you're starting to get a picture of what grace is, that it's not something that God owes us, and it's certainly not something you deserve. We can't earn it, we can't demand it, and God gives it to whoever he pleases. G.S. Bishop wrote, Grace is a provision for men who are so fallen they cannot lift the axe of justice, so corrupt they cannot change their own natures, so averse to God that they cannot turn to Him, so blind that they cannot see Him, so deaf they cannot hear Him, so dead that He Himself must open their graves and lift them into the resurrection, end quote. In other words, you're hopeless, helpless, spiritually dead, and grace comes. And so... You don't deserve it. It's so important to get that. You don't deserve it. It's not like something, well, that's not fair. No, you you do not want fair when you're talking with God. Justice can't even touch grace. Though God's justice is infinite, when saving grace steps in, God's justice then is diverted around the sinner to Christ. It's kind of like, you know, one of those movies or whatever where somebody has, you know, the, a force field around them. Grace is like a force field that keeps the, the wrath of God and the justice of God from falling on us. And yet God's justice must be satisfied. And so it sees Christ's. And, of course, justice is satisfied in his death. But the sinner escapes because of grace. Many people are... Uh, you know, kind of irritated when they hear that grace isn't deserved because they are trained to think that they deserve good, they deserve happiness, they deserve health, and they even deserve the grace of God. Uh, Driving around the country with God bless America, and yet they have no interest in blessing God, and they think, well, yeah, I deserve to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, no, you don't. No, you don't. Uh, The damned in hell can't say it's not fair we're suffering because God didn't give us grace. No, the damned in hell are getting what they wanted. What they earned. What perfect justice demands. What is fair. What is not fair and which lies outside of justice is that God would, for some unknown reason, because of his purpose, because of his desire because of his will not punish a sinner but instead bring christ into the world have him die for them and orchestrate the means where they can hear the saving message and open their heart and grant them repentance so that they can be saved that's what's not fair that is grace and god gives of his own free will secondly what about the source of grace well as you probably figured it it's god God is 
the source of grace and grace just flows from him and it flows not only to believers of course it flows to believers in a special and eternal way but it flows to everybody god sends the sun and has the rain fall on the just and the unjust just right now as you're sitting there uh, think about breathing grace the fact that you can breathe is great. Just talk to somebody with emphysema, they'll tell you, yeah. Or bad asthma, yeah, breathing's really good. Yeah, it's not till you get something taken away that you oftentimes realize how you have presumed upon the grace of God for so long and never even acknowledged it. Only God's grace can transform a sinner into a saint, can only rescue a person from hell. It's kind of the divine medicine, the you know, supernatural elixir that God gives to whoever he pleases because he is a good and gracious God. And those who receive it never deserve it. They just get it because God's good. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, speaking of um, suffering, it says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So here you have the God of all grace. So God is the wellhead of grace that flows to you. You may, somebody else may grace you. Your boss may give you a raise. Um, your business may begin to thrive. You may find some success or something in your life that you think is, man, this is incredible. Well, just know that God is the ultimate source of all of that. God's grace is the one who has done that. But not only that, what is really amazing, and this is you know worthy of a whole nother uh, message, is that even the things that we often call as bad things are also means of God's grace, right? I mean, think about, you know, uh, Peter saying, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. You know, there's, it's like, welcome to the club. It's too many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Or as James talks about, you know, when those multifaceted, very colored trials come upon you, they come upon you for what? For your good. Because they build in you perseverance and proven character and hope. Then Paul says in Romans 8 verse 28 that God is causing all things to work together for your good. If you love God and you are called according to his purpose. Think about that. Uh, You know, uh, Thomas Watson said that the, the wicked against their will do us good when they persecute us. God is able to take everything and use it for your good. And yes, it may be painful, and yes, it may be miserable, and yes, it may be sustained, and yes, it may um, cause you grief all through this life, but in the end, you're going to look back and go, wow, I needed that. That is just the medicine that I needed for me. And God knew it, even though I didn't know it, and now it has worked out for my good. The Apostle John says in John first, or John chapter 1, verse 16, For of his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. And the picture here is kind of of grace following grace, like waves upon the shore. Uh, you know, if you've uh, ever done any like, you know, masonry work, which I kind of like to do for fun, uh, but, uh, you know, you can't go to the ocean and use ocean sand to build 
stuff with, to make mortar out of. Do you know why? It's because ocean sand is smooth and round because the waves battering upon the shore cause the sand to be round and smooth. And so it doesn't stick together. The mortar falls apart. That's why you have to get crushed rock, um, which is sharp and it holds together. But the believer is kind of like those rocks and God's grace keeps pounding down upon them, uh, smoothing them out into the image of Christ so that they can be more like Jesus. There is a constant battering flow. You know, if you've ever been to the, the, the beach, you know what I'm talking about. You're sitting there on the beach and it just... There's just constant one wave after another, and it doesn't ever end. I mean, it, sometimes it slows way down to small waves, and other times big waves, but it never ends, does it? There's always grace upon grace upon grace, and that's how John describes God's grace towards us. The Apostle Paul, when speaking of God supplying what we need so we can uh, give, said, Again, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. The source and wellspring of God, uh, of grace, is God himself, and God at any time he wants can make all grace abound to you. And so if you aren't getting all grace for whatever situation, it's because, it isn't because God doesn't like you, it's just you don't need it. But there were times, you know, when people were being burnt at the stake that they gave testimony to Christ in the flames while they were burning up and never flinched and never screamed. Grace was kicked up to the need of the moment. And it will always be kicked up to the need of your moment, too. You know, you talk to people who go through huge trials and they go, man, it was heavy duty. And you say, well, man, how did you get through? It's like, man, I don't know. It's just the grace of God. I just... I was strong. God fortified me. He helped me through it. Yeah, it was difficult. But as I look back, I can just see how God kept increasing the grace. I just felt like the prayers of the saints. It was just, it was amazing. Why? Because of God's grace. He's able to turn it up beyond any trial that you might ever endure. Third, grace, the need of grace. Why do you even need grace? Well, I think... You know, it's because we're sinners, and uh, sinners need grace. The thoughts and intentions of men's heart were only evil continually. The wicked go astray from birth. The heart is incurably wicked and deceitful above all else. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, not even one man who drinks iniquity like water. These are all just a few of the scriptures that speak of our sin problem. And, of course, it would be... It would be right, it would be just, it would be fair, it would be good if be, if God decided to just judge us and cast us into hell because of our sin. That would be the good, just, holy thing to do. And yet, there is a huge need for grace if you're going to be saved from God's justice and His wrath. I mean, just think of somebody like Saul of Tarsus. I mean, he was... Uh, He's, he's not a guy you'd want to encounter on the street as a Christian. He was a Christ hater, a church persecutor. I mean, he was just out to destroy the church. And just think of just how 
how vicious he was and how vengeful he was and how driven he was to just stomp out Christianity. And yet he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy, listen to this, because I acted ignorantly, ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. God gave him such grace that he not only struck him blind, not only brought him to salvation, but made him really the greatest missionary and you know New Testament writer. And he says, you know why I did that? Because I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor of the church. I was a violent aggressor. I was ignorant and I acted in unbelief. And because I did that, God then stepped in with this grace that changed my life. Four, the value of grace. You know, how much will a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus asked. Now, how much would you give in exchange for your soul? Just how much is the grace of God worth to you? I think if you could just spend a moment in hell, you would give all you had for grace. Because you'd realize, I never want to go back there again. The problem is, you can't sacrifice enough to get it. You can't sacrifice enough animals. You can't give enough money. You can't do enough good works. Um, You can't even sacrifice enough human lives to earn one speck of God's grace. You could take all the you know hundred richest men in the world, accumulate all their money, and say, can we buy one person's salvation? No. Can we buy one minute of breath for them? No. It's beyond anything this world, this universe can purchase. There's no commodity, there's no work, nothing that can pur- purchase the grace of God. It's only given freely Because of the infinite value of the death of Christ. And that is why Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your fetal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as a lamb unblemished the blood of Christ. That is what purchases grace. That is grace. Jonathan Edwards made it very clear in his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, these scary truths. That there is nothing that keeps the wicked men at any one moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of God. By the mere pleasure of God, I mean his sovereign pleasure, his arbitrary will, restrained by no obligation, hindered by no manner of difficulty, any more than if nothing else but God's mere will had in the least degree or in any respect whatsoever any hand in the preservation of the wicked one moment. The wrath of God is like great waters that are dammed up for the present and they increase more and more and rise higher and higher until an outlet is given. And the longer the stream is stopped, the more rapid and mighty is its course when once it is let loose. It is true that judgment against your evil works has not been executed yet. The floods of God's vengeance have been withheld, but your guilt in the meantime is constantly increasing and you are every day treasuring up more wrath. 
The waters are constantly rising and waxing more and more mighty. And there is nothing but the mere pleasure of God that holds the waters back, that are unwilling to be stopped and press hard to go forward. If God should only withdraw his hand from the floodgate, it would immediately fly open. and The fiery floods of the fierceness of the wrath of God would rush forth with inconceivable fury and would come upon you with omnipotent power. And if your strength were 10,000 times greater than it is, yea, 10,000 times greater than the strength of the stoutest, sturdiest devil in hell, it would be of nothing to withstand or endure it, end quote. The whole point is, is that you need to understand that as a sinner, this is what is against you. This is the scary thing that John the Baptist came and said, flee from the wrath to come. That's it. Because every time you sin, the wrath of God is mounting up and every sin adds to that floodgate. And when God finally decides he's going to execute judgment, it flies forth with fury. And that is why John the Baptist, that is why Jesus, that is why Paul and other apostles went forth preaching a repentance from sin to escape the wrath of God. And the only thing, the only thing that keeps anybody out of hell for one moment is his grace. I mean, think of yourself. Think of your children. Think of your friends. Think of your loved ones in hell. It's a scary thought. We don't want them to go there. We want our kids to know the Lord. And how, what, what kind of a price would you put on grace? See, it's beyond value. It is of infinite value. Only the purpose of God, unaffected by any other factor based on the blood of Christ shed for sinners, is what brings grace. And then the storehouse of grace is open. It's, it's laid before everybody. Here's Jesus. Take him. And receive eternal grace. Salvation by grace. And many people won't take it. That's why the hymn writer wrote, Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed. Be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's commands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Salvation is only by God's grace. What about the means of God's grace? There are two general categories of grace. There is common grace, which God gives to everybody indiscriminately. Uh, uh, the sun, the rain, breath, life, things like that. We have all received God's grace. The fact that you're not in hell right now. Um, all of this is kind of given to mankind in general. Gifts, abilities, skills, intelligence, wealth. All these things are given to mankind in general. And then there is special grace, which is given to the elect. Those God chooses to save by his grace that draws them to repentance 
because they will not come on their own, which opens their hearts to understand the truth because they suppress the truth and unrighteousness, which gives them the Holy Spirit that they might walk in holiness before him. To the unbeliever, uh, the gospel is really the, the primary means of God's grace. Though they have all these things that keep them alive and they presume upon those things, they don't acknowledge them as coming from God. Really, when the gospel is brought to them, that is the mother load of grace set before them. And yet most, because of their sin, because of their hatred for God, because of their unwillingness to submit to God, they reject the mother load. Yet the believer, because of grace, sees it, understands it, receives it, and is transformed by it. And God isn't like a mother who gives birth and abandons her, her child. He is like the perfect father who, once the child is born, makes sure that child grows and grows and grows and for all eternity takes care of that child because he adopts that child as his own. Peter in 1 Peter 5.12 finishes up his letter saying, Through Sylvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. We say this is what everything he said in his book. The whole Bible is the grace of God. A lot of people think, man, I, I need grace. Well, here's some grace. Look at all the other people in the room. There's some grace. Here's a building. Here's some grace. Breathe. That's grace. Um, you know, we are so saturated with grace, we don't even see that we have it. We're just blind to it. God is so good to us. And six, the works produced by grace. Grace, contrary to what many think, is given to us that we might produce good works. We don't do good works so we receive, receive grace. We do good works because we have received grace. Ephesians 2, 8 uh, through 10, of course, when it talks about being saved by grace through faith and not, not of ourselves, he goes on, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. You're saved by grace, so you would walk in those works God has pre- prepared for you. Or as Titus says in Titus 2, 11 through 14, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly righteous as godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Now, what what about what all this good deeds and good works and good deeds and good works? What was that all from? For the grace of God has appeared, instructing us to glorify God and how we live. And seventh, and finally, the purpose of grace is to give glory to God. Yes, you get blessed, which is a huge thing, but it's the secondary thing. The primary thing is that God wants to give glory to himself by giving to those who don't deserve it favor. He wants men to marvel at his God's kindness towards them and their wretchedness towards him in return. That do you ever feel like you are a sinner? Yeah. Now do you ever see your sin? Yeah. I mean, you see your sin and go, man, I'm a sinner. Man, I wish I could stop. And yet you go back and say, Lord, will you forgive me? And God says, here's some grace. 
And here's a person to encourage you. And here's some scripture to build you up. And here's a church. And here's a person gifted in teaching. And here's a person who can come alongside you. And here's another person. And here's a friend. And here's this. And here's that. And here's this. And here. And you keep sinning and sinning. Think about since you came to Christ, if you know Christ, how many times you've sinned. And in all that time, God keeps forking out the grace. Until one day you will be perfected. And be exactly like Christ without sin. And it will all be by His grace. And you'll be able to see it in heaven a lot more. And it will just make you want to worship God for all eternity. And you will. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 1 through 14 is one huge sentence in the Greek. And it talks about what the Father does for us. What the Son does for us. What the Holy Spirit does for us. And there's this repeated phrase. Uh, Let me just read this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints at Ephesus who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he begins with a greeting of grace. Then he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And of course, that's by grace. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, by grace, that we would be holy and blameless before him, by grace. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons, by grace, through Jesus Christ himself, by grace, according to the kind intention of his will, by grace, to the praise of the glory of his grace. All those things are because of God's grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Of course, that's by grace. The forgiveness of our trespasses. Oh, that's grace too. According to the riches of his grace. Oh, he said it. Which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Of course, that's by grace too. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of times that is the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in heaven, things on earth, that's by grace too. And in him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. That's all by grace too. In the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory... In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Notice how it keeps saying, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. When we get to heaven, it's going to be so obvious to us that God's grace was so super abundant to us in our lives that we're just going to praise him for all eternity. And we won't be selfish and we won't be clouded. We'll remember, we'll understand, and we'll praise God for all eternity. The holy angels will marvel with us that God was so good to us. They're probably wondering, man, why does he put up with them? I mean, when you think about it, do you ever wonder why God puts up with you? Do you ever just think, Lord, why don't you just crush me like a fly? Why don't you just kick me into hell? I know I deserve that. I, am, I have blown it so many zillion times, even since becoming a believer. And yet you keep giving me grace and grace and grace, as we sang earlier. The hymn, Wonderful Grace of Jesus, Greater Than All My Sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall its praise begin? Taking away my burden, setting my spirit free, for the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. 
Wonderful grace of Jesus reaching to all the lost. By it I have been pardoned, saved to the uttermost. Chains have been torn asunder, given me liberty. For the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. Wonderful grace of Jesus reaching the most defiled by its transforming power, making him God's dear child, purchasing peace in heaven for all eternity. The wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. And the chorus, wonderful, the matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea, higher than the mountain, sparkling like a fountain, all sufficient grace for even me. Broader than the scope of my transgression. Greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus. Praise His name. And that's why we sing songs about God's grace and why Tim's coming up right now to lead us in a song like that. Pray with me. Father, we are grateful for Your grace. We're sorry we don't understand it as well as we should. We're sorry that we don't sing as loud as we should about it. We're sorry that we don't use the means of grace you have given us to walk before you in holiness like we should. Father, we are faithless, but you remain faithful. For you cannot deny yourself because you are the God of grace. How wonderful that is. May we marvel at you may we use all the gracious resources you have given us to walk before you in a way that gives you glory to the praise of the glory of your grace we pray in jesus name amen